All right, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Lord, we, we come before you this morning. We, we thank you that we could open your word and it's untainted. It's here. It's pure before us. And Lord, we have so many questions that aren't all going to be answered in our lifetime. Nevertheless, God, we pray that we would pursue you for the answers. I pray that we would pursue you with all of our hearts. And Lord, where, where things don't seem like they add up, we ask, Lord, that you would illuminate our spirits to understand your scriptures correctly. We ask, Lord, that we would not be uh, pulled to the left or to the right, that your word would guide us in all we say and all we do, how we live and how we proclaim. And so this morning, Lord, we continue to lift up your word and we ask that they would just reach our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So chapter 1, verse 1 of the Bible declares that the origin of the universe and all that is within is God. God is is the origin of everything created. He created it. Whatever theories might be out there, if they do not begin with God, they are utterly and totally void. Now, that doesn't mean that how God created the heavens and the earth uh, can't be discussed, right? A lot of clarity there, but God initiated, He started, He formed it. He is the designer of heavens and, and heavens and the earth. And if you begin to uh, seek out these things apart from him, apart from that knowledge, uh, I would say that we're on a, a foolish journey, as Romans 1 says and other things. Because the, 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 the very existence of the universe declares his divine attributes. It's a signpost. When I look at this pulpit, I look and see that it was designed for a purpose. To protect me from you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. But there was a carpenter with the angles. They had this in mind. It was in their thoughts. It was a, a logos, if you want. Logos. The intention, the thought. And that thought became expressed when God spoke and the material universe came into being as we'll talk about today. You cannot separate creation apart from design. And He is the origin of the universe. He alone is the creator. And again, the word God here in verse 1, as we talked about last week, is Elohim. And that is plural. When you put an I am at the end of something in Hebrew, it makes it plural. In the beginning, God's created the heavens and the earth, and yet the Scripture clearly teaches what? That God is one. And yet it also teaches that God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Spirit. And as I spoke about last week, all are active in the creation of the universe, of the world, of us, each one. We have our origins and our purpose, our design is in God. Verse 2, and now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse 2 has been the subject of much debate among people who have devoted their lives to studying the Bible. 
Um, there are many conservative scholars that see that Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 might be translated differently. And instead of saying, now the earth was formless and empty, they say that it could be rendered, and the earth became formless and empty. And because some people see this, that it could be translated this way, this rendering would necessarily imply that the earth was recreated because it says that the earth became formless and empty. And again, this is a theory. I'm talking to you about theory, everybody. All right? <laughs> I want to make sure that everybody gets that right off the bat. But it is popular. It's out there, called the gap theory. And that it exact, exactly what it is, is, is a theory that states that there was a gap of time between verse 1 and 2. The earth was created, and somehow in between verse 1 and 2, it was destroyed. And then we have verse chapter 2, uh, I'm sorry, ver chapter 1, verse 2, the recreation of the earth. I know this is kind of heavy stuff. We went into depth on this in our Genesis class, but we're not going to go into too much depth here. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period, and then the earth became formless and empty, is how some of these people see it. This rendering indicates that the earth was prior, uh, uh, it was in a prior existence, and theologians speculate, speculate, keyword, that this could have been when Satan and his angels fell. Because if you look at Job 38, verse 4 through 7, the angels were around when the earth was created before day one. Job 38, 4 through 7 says, where were you? And, and, and God's really laying it to Job and here just kind of just flexing his muscles. It's amazing. I love that. Read that if you want. But it, in this this particular passage, verse 38, 4 through 7 says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it. On what were its footings set? And who laid the cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Angels were there witnessing the creation of the earth. So when were they created? And so that places the angels at the beginning of creation sometimes. Satan is a fallen supernatural angel. We're not going to get into the deity, uh, uh, no deity, uh, uh, the false deity of, of Satan, right? Uh, the nature of Satan right now. But when did he fall? These are questions that people have. Because in chapter 3, in Genesis here, he's in the garden tempting Eve. Now, if Adam and Eve fell so quickly, I imagine it's possible for Lucifer to fall quickly. However, I also think that eternity has a little bit of a, a different time situation that we do. And perhaps he could have been there for a long time, according to us, and it could have been moments in reality. I don't know, everybody. We're just guessing here. Do you see that people extrapolate all these theories from what they read? And we've got to be careful not to take them and make them as doctrines. Amen? But, nevertheless, it does answer some interesting things, and, and, and it kind of helps balance out some aspects of science, such as the age of the universe that they're finding out, and fossil records, and all these types of things. So what if the earth was recreated? We don't know. It's, an it's, it's alluded to in certain versions, like the Septuagint. And so take that, have fun with it, yeah, extra credit. So there are libraries of books, not only on verse 1, but verse 2, believe it or not. 
And all that to say, there are different views by our brothers and sisters in Christ regarding the age of the universe and when God created the heavens and the earth and all that. There's the day-age theory, that, they, that some people believe that each of these days is a geological era, popular, popularized after the uh, Enlightenment there. People are trying to reconcile science with the Bible. Um, got some huge holes in each of these issues there. There are all these other theories as well. But God did not give us those dates. He didn't give us the date. By the way, it's 14 point something, right? He gave us the information we needed to know. He was in the beginning, and he created it all. That's what God wants us to know. And what we do know is clear, and it's not speculated. What we know of the Bible, it's, it's clear, and it's not speculated, is what we have before us. This is the best rendering they have. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so this, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. How do you describe something like that? What is that that he's describing? I don't know, but it's formless, it's watery, it's not, it's amoeba-ish, who knows? He's describing something that is in disorder. It's in chaos. Formless. The world is in disorder, toho vobohu, without form and void. And there was darkness over the surface of the deep. And this darkness is not the absence of light. This is that biblical darkness in Exodus chapter 10, same word, where that darkness was part of the plague. Hey, Moses, stretch out your hand, and that darkness will come upon the Egyptians. It was so dark they could like, reach out and touch it. It's not the absence of light. It's a spiritual-type darkness. I don't know how to describe it. So dark, there's just, it's, you could feel it. Very interesting descriptive words there. An unnatural darkness. And this darkness was over the surface of the deep. That word deep is the abyss, the abuso, whatever that means. It's getting deep, isn't it? <laughs> and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Notice the Spirit of God is active in creation. The Spirit is hovering or brooding over the darkness, over the face of the waters. And isn't this the kind of picture of what God does with us? I was just thinking about that. I mean, this is what God does with us as in making us new creations in Christ Jesus. Doesn't he? You know, we were created, but our lives were formless and empty, and there was a great darkness within us until the Spirit of God began to hover. And what does God desire to bring into our lives? Verse 3, And God said, Let there be light. And let there be light. And there was light. Light is necessary for life on this earth, physical life. It's also necessary for spiritual life. And it's, I tend to wonder, um, 
you know, when we talk about Hebrews, how this earth is a shadow of things in heaven and all this type of stuff, I tend to wonder, you know, the significance of physical light and spiritual light and spiritual darkness and all these types of things. My mind just goes there. But light is necessary for both physical and spiritual life. And God didn't have to fashion it with his hands. He spoke it into existence. He said, let there be light. It came out of his mouth, the word. So God spoke, and there was light. Verse 4, and God saw the light, was, that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there, the evening and the morning was the first day, or day one, literally. And so on the first day, we have the heavens, we have the earth, which was formless and empty with darkness upon it. And we have the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. And we have the Word of God, which is spoken, and, it came, and, and what came forth? Light. And God div- delight, divided the light from the darkness, and the earth experienced its first evening and morning and first day. Verse 6, day 2 of creation. And God said, let there be a vault. How many of you have vault? How many of you have expanse? How many of you have firmament? So someone's trying to describe a word. Let there be a space. Okay? <laughs> a vault, an expanse, a firmament. It's, it's hard because the original word has a lot of things packed in there. So let there be a vault. Okay, that's the word we're using here. Uh, vault between the waters. And this is my favorite verse, you know, to try to picture and describe. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate the waters from the water. And so God made the vault and separated water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. That's why he is God and I am not. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for separating all the vaults. Uh, Now, the NIV (laughs) tries to clear things up uh, for us by using that word vault, and and it kind of loses me as well. It's just as good as firmament for me. And so what is actually happening here? Let there be a vault or space between the waters or separate the water from the water. Up until this point, who knows what the earth looked like, but it had water. Plasma, who knows what it is, what form it was in. There is a bunch of liquid type stuff there. And then God is saying, separate that. And he's, what he's doing is he's creating an atmosphere. He's taking water and he's separating water from this blob up into that blob. And so there's a canopy of water above this blob of water. Does that make sense? Central blob of water, space, canopy water all the way around. That's what's going on. Many people believe that until the flood, this water canopy existed over the earth. That is why until the flood, there wasn't rain recorded, but a mist went up, as Genesis says, every day to water things. Very interesting. And most people speculate that it was probably very tropical, and science has verified that as you go to Siberia and you are in this incredible frozen tundra and you dig out woolly mammoths with giant vegetation still within them. They're flash-frozen. You go down to Antarctica, and they go down 100 feet, and all of a sudden they have a layer of this world that was once there. So uh, there's evidence 
uh, you know, of, a, of like a rainforest. And so there's uh, evidence that the world was much different than we currently have it right now. That it very well could have been a tropical atmosphere all around the earth. So I was in the Philippines a couple of years ago. Let's just say 10. And <coughs> you're like, how could that be? You must have been five. No. I was over there. And twice, by the way. And it was great seeing snails the size of my fist. I'm like, you step on them, and they're like, what up? You know? <laughs> it's like, like, just walk right, you know, they don't crack. And these enormous cockroaches, I know, understand, tropical places like New York have them too, but <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing. What are we doing here? I'm sorry, they're trying to get me to do the microphone. Yeah. All right. So, in uh, I remember seeing a cockroach for the first time run at me over there. It was huge. I mean, literally, probably like that. And they have bigger ones. Everything is extremely large in these places like Belize and Philippines and stuff. And you figure if the whole earth is like that, how, much, how large things could get under those conditions. What catastrophe happened that destroyed that environment that was over the earth at one time? So again, God spoke, and there was waters in one place, and space and waters in another, creating an atmosphere. God's bringing organization to creation. He's bringing order from chaos. Order is happening, not disorder. And that was the second day. Now verse 9, and God says, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land, and he gathered water, and the, and the gathered waters he called sea. And God saw that it was good. And so the waters were under the canopy, that, you know, well, this, this ball down here, were gathered together in one place, creating the seas. And then dry ground appeared, which is land. And so now we have the heavens, we have the earth with an atmosphere, and we had a canopy of water over it, and we have seas and we have land now. And God saw that it was good, but more to come. Verse 11, he keeps on describing it. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. God prepared an environment ready for life to happen. God prepared an environment ready for life to happen. This tells you something about God. I'm not going to go into it. I'll let you think about that. What is he building up to? And he also, I think, anticipated the theory of evolution and declares that plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in itself, they, they, they bore them according to their own kinds. That there were kinds in the beginning of different plants. There wasn't one plant that became many. The scriptures declare he created them various kinds. And they already had seed within them to reproduce. Now 
as I look at the world right now, as I look at fruit I eat, as I look at trees, my mind says, that works. Looks logical to me. Looks like that works. I don't know about you, but I think God knew and designed these trees and their variety, their plants in each variety, and the tremendous variation within each one. I love, I mean, my phone, if you, if you check out the pictures on my phone, you'd think I'm like a National Geographic wannabe. I, I'm ta- I mean, the dogwoods are in bloom right now, just blows me away. I mean, we don't have dogwoods down you know, in San Diego where I'm from. We have deadwoods, and they're <laughs> kind of different. You know, oh, look at the cactus. Yes, look at it. Now, <laughs> there's beauty in it, you know. But just the wonder of the variety. Why, why color in flowers? For the bees that are colorblind? God likes color. He likes variety. It pleases him. Doesn't it please you? Aren't you glad we aren't all monotone skin colors? Aren't you glad that God has a variety of people all around the earth looking different, speaking differently, interacting differently? I love the variety and how God loves each one. God, according to their various kinds, created these things. An acorn tree was never an apple tree, no matter how far back you go. God created variety, both vegetation and trees. And just to make his point clear, he repeats himself. Verse 12, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was an evening, and there was morning, the third day. So God allows variations within one kind, but never does one kind become another kind. In verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky, in the space of the sky, right? And to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them uh, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. And so here in day four, God is making all the various planets, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And the purpose, he declares for these things. There's a purpose. There's a meaning. There's a design for them. And what is that design? The purpose of the sun and the moon is to separate the day from the night. The light had already been divided. Now the actors are taking their place. Very interesting. Light already was. And these objects get put in their place. And the sun and the moon to this day are a reference for our days and our years, obviously, right? But verse 16 goes into more detail. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. And God set the vault in the sky, sorry, in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was the evening, and there was the morning, and the fourth day. So when you take into account all that is necessary, 
for the sustenance of life as we know it, there are a few planets able to support life. Taking into account factors such as our galaxy type, star location, star age, star mass, star color, distance from stars, the axis tilt of the Earth, the rotation period, surface uh, gravity, tidal force, magnetic field, oxygen quantity in the atmosphere, atmospheric pressure, and 20 other important factors, the probability, according to some scientists, of all 33 occurrences happening on any planet is 1 in 10 to the 42nd power. That's big. And the total number of possible planets in the universe is 10 to the 22nd power. And again, you know, these are people just speculating about these things. And so we have the heavens and the earth and light and vegetation, sun, moon, stars, and and the start of the times and the seasons. We live in a unique place. A unique place, if anything. Amazing. In verse 20, And God said, Let the waters teem with living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth, across the vault of the sky. And so God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing which is in the water that teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill in the water uh, and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was an evening and there was a morning, the fifth day. And notice the repetition of according to its kind, according to its time, a hundred times. Why do you think that's there from several thousand years ago? God anticipates what's going on with mankind. So once the environments are ready, God puts life into those environments. The sky and the sea. Now day six, verse 24. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. The livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that moved along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. God wants you to know something. He repeats it often. And so God shifts his focus from the birds and sea animals to land animals. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind. You know, when we look at the infinite variety of the animal kingdom, both living and extinct, we must be impressed with God's creative power as well as his sense of humor. I mean, just look at some of these animals out there. I see a lot of them right now. But um, just look at his creative power. It just blows me away. You know, someone was talking about the giraffe, I think, the other day. You know, and just how, how much blood pressure it takes to get blood all the way up its neck to reach its brain. And that if that happens 18 feet up in the air and they go down to the ground, what happens? That thing's dead. All that blood would, would give it embolism. It's gone. But there's these valves that God put in its neck that cause the blood to stop and to, and to go according to wherever it is. It's a hydraulic system. Majesty just blows me away. 
I love that stuff. You know, I totally blown away with animals. I could watch Animal Planet forever and ever, you know. From something so powerful and fierce, you know, like as a, as a tiger, I love tigers. Tigers are awesome. We went to the San Diego Zoo and you sit there two inches away from the glass and you're like, yes, I'm a hamburger outside the window. You know, and those things are amazing. You know, my kids can't get over our cat. You know, I mean, amazing. I mean, how light they are, how quick, what vision they're hearing, their agility. I mean, just the way they're created. I mean, the claws and everything. They're like, you know, and yet you can go and you can, you know, they're all cuddly and all that stuff. They sit on your chair and purr and all that stuff. It's like a little switchblade with fur. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> it is. <laughs> they just blow me away. I mean, just watching, and of course it brings half a rodent and a squirrel and all this stuff to my back door. I'm like, what are you doing there? But all these the variety of creatures, each, even deer and cows, you know, and you're just looking at these things going, what is your purpose? And, you know, the multiple stomachs and all these amazing things. The variety and the creativity that went into forming these creatures, each kind with tremendous variety. I remember learning to surf in 1997 during El Nino. And one of the things that, you know, I always thought the waters were really stirred up at the time, and so I'm out there on my board, and I just know Jaws is going to come get me, you know? You always have this sense that there's another, there's a big fish around you somewhere. It's not fun. Um, you know, so you're getting smacked by waves, and you're thinking sharks getting you. This is really fun to learn how to surf. And, uh, but after a while, I got the hang of it, and, and I go out on this absolutely unusually clear day. The water is very clear. And you get out on your board and you're shuffling your feet because of stingrays, and I could see two stingrays that just went right past me. You know, I was aware that there's a lot of sea life. I knew there were fish out there, but I had no idea what was really around me when I was out there. And I'm shuffling my feet, and these stingrays go by. And I'm like, wow, that is that was close, and those are neat. You know, I'm my board's on the on the water, and then I get to the place where I start to to paddle. And as I'm looking out, the waves start to break. And you can see needlefish shooting through the waves. These needlefish or barracuda or whatever the heck they are. They're just right through there. It's like, wow. And as I swim a little further, I'm looking down and I see these, uh, you know, sand sharks just swimming around. They're just like that long. They just, they don't, they, their mouths are flat. They eat stuff off the bottom. Don't worry about those ones. You know, and you realize how much life is out there. And I'm sitting on my board, getting ready, you know, to the waves, and I look around, and there's all these giant Garibaldi all around me, these giant orange fish, the California fish, just everywhere around me. I'm like, get away, you know, like, so much life all around me that I never knew was there. And, of course, then I read the reports of great white sightings every other week, and I'm like, great. But... I don't, how many of you have been to, like, Hawaii or to a tropical place? Have you ever been snorkeling? I mean, totally different from, from California coast or from Washington, Oregon coast. Yes, there's beautiful things, but, I mean, you go into those, it's just like a whole new world. The color and the variety, and, you know, you're looking at starfish that are a blue, that are, un, you know, what are you? 
And, you know, I'm, there's this little, like little fish that have polka dots all over it, you know, swimming by your face. You're going, you have purpose, you have meaning, you have design. Each one of these things, you didn't come by, you know, chance. And just the majesty, and when we, somehow we, creation is meant to pull out worship. And this is why Romans 1 hits it hard, and he calls it foolishness. When you exchange the worship of God for the worship of creation, it is to point us towards the Creator. When we look at these things, when I look at you, when I look at all that has been created, it is to well up within me an awe for His majesty and His design. And we are living in an age that denies the Creator of the heavens and the earth and worship is wiped out. And I know this might offend, but I believe, and, and, I, and I'm certain of it, that it is Satan's tactic to replace the worship of God with the worship of creation. And so, when you are in nature, when you're looking at all that God has created, the variety, it is by design. Your very senses know it. Everything you've made or created is by design. Nothing came into being by itself that you've created, has it? There's purpose. There's meaning behind it. And such is the history of the universe. And it screams that there is one whom we can't see but is present that created it all. And so God is taking this disorder and he's bringing it to a place of order. He's creating all these fish. He's creating these animals, the plants, the, the atmosphere. He's creating everything from disorder to order. And I believe it's for this crowning moment. Verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image in our likeness, so that he may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You are not made in the image of an animal. You are made in the image of God. And we're going to pick it up there next week. And we're going to get into the rest of it. So let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we, we come before you and we want to say thank you. Thank you for creating us, for putting a spirit that you designed within our, our bodies. Lord, we know from the rest of Scripture that you've not only created the material universe, but the things unseen. The forces and also the principalities, the angels, the demons that have fallen. 
all these things were created. Lord, what we see, it's just a, it's a labyrinth. It's a, it's a riddle. It's, it's, we can see dimly right now. Give us the eyes of faith that we may lay hold of your kingdom, the kingdom that we belong to. I pray that as we go through Genesis, Lord, you would renew our worship of you, our desire to seek you out and to ask questions. Change our thought of who we think you are right now. Improve upon it, Lord. Remove, cast down any false image. Breathe life into our hearts, Lord. Cause us to cry out, Abba, Father. Meet us as only you can, our designer, our creator, our Father. We love you, Lord. Bless these people. Pour out your spirit upon them, Lord. Continue to give them the heart and the eyes of Jesus, whom we are being molded into that image of Jesus. Amen.